Let's turn once again to the book of Jude. There's only this week and next week left in Jude. And uh, some of you might go, I, I don't know how I got, where he gets this stuff out of Jude. I mean, it's only 25 verses. You think we could cover that in, in a week? Uh, I think it's been 12 maybe. Um, and, and, and just so you don't think I'm out of the ordinary, well, we don't want to, okay. Um, but, but there, there are people who've just spent gobs of time in Jude, uh, and re- I mean, much longer than, than we have, um, and, and th- probably because they're better preachers than me, and they can get a lot more out of stuff and be more interesting, um, in, in its presentation. But Jude has been rich, I believe, and, it has, remember, Second Peter is about the false teachers who are going to come. Jude is about the false teachers who are there. And Jude is warning the congregation that, and all those who are going to read this, these are the types of things you need to be aware of. These are the types of actions, and this is the character of these false teachers, and you must be ready to Resist. You must be ready to fight against. And here's the way to identify them. Well, we've come in a sense full circle because we come back to the beloved. Now, he started in verse 3. If you can see there, the first word after the introduction is beloved. Now, he was originally going to write about the common salvation, you remember. And then he says, but I just feel compelled. I feel like I have to write words of warning about these false teachers. And from verse 4 on all the way up to here in verse 20, we have these warnings. And in verse 20, we return once again to the Beloved. And he, in, in, so in a sense, he is writing, now I've warned you, now here, beloved, are some words of encouragement for you. So we come to verse 20, Jude 20 through 23. If you're able, would you stand with me as I read the word of God? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come upon us, that our eyes would be opened through the power of your Holy Spirit to what you have for us today that we might not just understand it with our minds, but it would penetrate our hearts, that we would be demonstrators of the things of Christ. We ask in his name, amen. So it's Jude, verses 20 through 23. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. This is God's inspired word for us today, so please be seated. And basically, we just have a couple of lists here of encouragements, of do these things, and also some responsibility. We see here at the end, 22 and 23, we're to have mercy on some, saving others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear. So those are the things of our responsibility, and everything before that really are words of encouragement and how our lives should look. So we go back to the very beginning here in verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on our most holy faith. The... The heart of the matter of survival, spiritual survival for this congregation and for believers is being 
built upon the things of Christ and rooted in the things of Christ and the teachings of the apostles. Now, when he says here, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in our most holy faith, he's not talking about your personal faith, okay? I have faith in Christ, okay? You have faith in Christ. He's not talking about a personal or subjective faith in Christ. He's talking about the objective faith in Christ, the most holy Building yourselves up in our most holy faith. That is an objective faith. It is the content of the gospel which we are to build ourselves upon and build up our faith in. It is essential that you build your faith on an objective truth. And that is the gospel. To build yourself up on only how you feel about your faith, how you feel about the things of Christ, would be a subjective issue. And that is different amongst all of us, okay, because it is left to ourselves to decide how that is to be lived out or what that feels like. I mean, faith to one person might feel this way and faith to another person might feel different, you know, maybe completely different. But the objective truth, what we theologians like is doctrine, okay? We like to talk about doctrine. This is what we believe and this is what we stand on. That's what he's talking about here. He said, this is not something that uh, you can pick and choose from. This is the doctrine of Scripture. And Jude is kind of building on what Paul says in Ephesians, where the work is to equip the saints so that the saints can go out and do ministry. Okay? So what you have here is um, Paul says, I can go out and do ministry, and a certain amount will get done. Or I can equip the saints, and ministry can expand exponentially. Okay, so you uh, remember a seminary professor of mine, a pretty good guy, said, how many disciples did Jesus have? How many apostles? I said, well, there was 12, and then uh, one of them went bad. He said, yeah. So, so that's who he poured his life into. And then they went out and poured their lives into others. Now, Jesus impacted many lives, but he poured his life into a select few. Now, that's how it works. You equip the saints so that they can equip others so that the ministry might be expanded exponentially. Okay, so Jude says you've got to be ready. You've got to fill your mind with the objective truth of God, the foundation. Okay, so we see in Acts chapter 2 that at the beginning of the church, they devoted themselves to whatever they felt like, right? They devoted themselves to whatever was right in their own eyes. No. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. That's how they began to grow strong. So verse 3 and verse 20 go together. The faith which originates with God, it is the most holy faith. Uh, It is not something of our own concoction, of our own invention. It comes from God. Um, And and to build yourself up in this faith means that you can't be just in the neighborhood of Christian things. You can't get it through osmosis. You can't be, uh, well, you know, I, I'm close to the things of Christ, or I go to worship and I listen to Christian music. That is not building yourself up. That's not what he's talking about here. He is talking about uh, some of the things which, I don't know, I, 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 I thought that some of the, how might I describe building yourself up in the doctrine of, of of scripture. Well, obviously you have to study it, but those things aren't always 
the fun part of Christianity, are they? Unless you're like me, I've got some books in there that are, you know, six or 700 pages with little print, and, and, and I just love to get in there and read and, and you know, read about systematic theology, and, and most everybody else, you know, they're, they're, your eyes glaze over if I began to talk about some of those things. Um, one summer in, in seminary, uh, you know, I didn't take classes in the summer, I went out and I bought the three volumes of Jonathan Edwards' Rational Biblical Theology. And that's what I read over the summer. And I would tell you, that was a good summer. Okay? Uh, now, most people would not think that that was a fun summer, but that was a good one. It was rich. And, and considering some of the things, some of the crazy things I was getting at seminary at that time, that was food. Okay? That was like manna to my soul. And I went back in, in the fall, and, I, and we were talking about what we did over the summer. And I said, do you guys read anything interesting? And they said, no, no, we were done reading school. And I told them what I read. And, you know, I got the look which you would expect. What? What were you doing reading that stuff? I said, oh, it was rich. It was food, okay? I got to feast on some things. Well, not everybody likes to feast on that kind of stuff, but at the, the very minimum, and I, I say this with trepidation at the very minimum, this is what we feast on, okay? The Word of God. This is where we learn what Christ wants from us, what the Lord expects from us, our, our issues, and how we are to live those things out. And the best explainer of the Bible is what? The Bible. Scripture interprets Scripture. That's one of the basic uh, understandings of, of, of the Christian life. Scripture interprets Scripture. That's why the Bible is so explicit about discernment. Remember, last week Dan talked about discernment. And I'm going to piggyback off that for a moment Discernment is really to protect us. Uh, it's no different than what you do for your children. Okay? You teach your children uh, that there are dangers out there. You don't hang out with strangers, people who come and talk to you uh, that you don't know. Uh, look both ways before you cross the street. If you've got a wood pile out in the yard, uh, you send them out and you say, look for the black widows that hang out in the, in the wood pile okay, before you bring it into the house. You teach them to discern and be attentive to certain signs and certain things about what is right and what is wrong. And you've done your best to teach them as they were growing up and to instill that within them. You have planted it in their lives and you want to nurture that so they grow into uh, people who are able to discern what is a danger, what is right and what is wrong. And it's no different in the spiritual realm. Now, uh, let's go back to Matthew 16 for a moment. And, and we'll look at an example about people who have discernment trouble. And Jesus is addressing the Sadducees and the Pharisees, Pharisees, the Pharisees and the Sadducees here. And and they come up in verse 1, it says, they come testing him. And they were always looking for a way to get their hooks in him and to find error in him and to trick him in in these ways. So Matthew 16, verse 1, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up and testing him, asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Uh, You know, they were always looking for a sign on demand okay now jesus had done plenty of signs before and they knew these things they had seen the people who were healed but they wanted a sign right now okay if you're really the son of god you can do something cool right here before us and he answered and said to them 
When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Remember, uh, red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. Red sky at night, sailors delight. It's kind of a, a, a weather forecasting. That's how they did it. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. Okay, and the sign of Jonah was what? Three days in the belly of a whale. And so he, he goes on to talk about this. But he says, you know how to forecast the weather better than you understand your theology. Now, he was talking to people who considered themselves to be theological experts. And he says, you know whether it's going to rain tomorrow or not, but you can't tell whether I'm the Son of Man. You can't tell whether I'm the Messiah. You're supposed to be experts in this. How much Old Testament understanding do you have, and yet you are blind to these things? I mean, this, this is a very caustic accusation that he makes to them. You can know the weather, but you don't know who I am. Okay? They did not know how to discern. So if, if we look at our, our world today... Uh, I just wanted to do some some quick and, and, and easy things. Why is there a lack of discernment in our world today? Okay, why? Well, I came up with just three things, and and, and they're nothing special. Hopefully, they're they're obvious to us. Why is there a lack of discernment? First, the church has a whole lack of doctrinal clarity. Okay, and 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 I'm I'm just talking in a broad brush here about the, the the Christian church and conviction that comes with it. Doctrinal clarity and conviction. Bonhoeffer warned us, what, 50 years ago about the, the dangers of cheap grace, and we're still wrestling with that kind of stuff with things like easy. Let's make Christianity easy. Let's make belief and faith easy. Let's tolerate everything. Let's uh, judge. Let's not judge everybody's opinion, but give value to it. Let's have unity at all costs. Uh, let's have, uh, you know, let's be in, open to, to new interpretations of Scripture. And unfortunately, those interpretations of Scripture are often based more upon our our world presently in our present day culture rather than on historic or linguistic study about what the word really says it's what i feel we go back to subjectivism how i feel the word really says this i don't think god is concerned about how i feel what he said it's about what he said and am i conforming my life to it and and i don't want to seem like well the lord's pretty harsh in that doesn't he care about me he wants the best for me and what is the best to conform my life to his word. That is what is best. Okay? So there seems to be a, uh, maybe a, a negative attitude into being doctrinal and to being narrow. Uh, but the word is pretty clear. How wide is that road to heaven? I don't know. It's, it's at least this wide. We're pretty sure. Okay? Because I'm, uh, you know, we get one person in for sure. But the way to hell is very broad. The way to hell is very broad. And not everybody, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but don't assume your opinion about the scripture is right. Assume this is right, okay? So secondly, relativism. And those are big terms, but I said I wanted to make it simple. Relativism. There's a sort of uh, it's subjective attitude about everything. We're kind of hesitant to be, um, what's the word, antithetical, okay? You have a thesis and you have an antithesis. There is a right and there is a wrong. People go to heaven or they go to hell. 
There is one way. There are not many ways, okay? There is eternal life and there is eternal death. We are, are reticent to stand on these things and to say, this is true. There are right things and there are wrong things. And if you're wrong, you're wrong, okay? And, and I'll be compassionate and caring about you, but I won't attempt to modify the truth that God gives us to make you feel better about it. There is right and there is wrong. And the third thing would be a failure to really interpret Scripture properly. We're told uh, to study the Bible to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman, that we need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay? Most people do not jump into truth um, wholeheart- or jump into error wholeheartedly. They usually slide into it because they've gotten lazy about their study. Well, those things sound good. Uh, well, what Scripture says? Well, I, uh, Scripture says you have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. So uh, that, that, that sounds pretty good over there, doesn't it? Scripture does not say you have to pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. Okay? It is a common thing for people to get in the neighborhood of Scripture in their effort to promote a truth that is contrary to Scripture. So those are the three things, why, maybe why we are lacking discernment. In the true, in in according to the things of Scripture, let re, let me remind you that Scripture is the truth about God. It is the truth about man and eternity. You don't have to like Scripture. You do have to love it. Okay, there are things in Scripture I do not like because they tell me to do things that I don't want to do. They tell me to live in ways that I would rather not live. But God puts those there for my benefit that I might experience his grace and his mercy to the fullest. So let's look at Jude again. Verse 20, there are four commands for those who are the beloved that Jude is writing to. And we've pretty much covered the first one, build yourself up in the holy faith. Okay, the objective truth, this is an imperative, it is a command. It is not an option for believers. It's not study if you feel like it. It is, I command you to build yourself up in the things of the word. Fill your minds and hearts with the things of the word. We do that through personal devotions, through small groups, through studies. We sing the word. We pray the word. We read the word. We listen to the word being taught and preached. That's how we build ourselves up in this faith. The second thing he commands us to do is praying in the spirit. So this means that while I'm learning the word, the object of truth, I have to learn to trust and rely upon the Lord through the work of the Spirit. Remember Romans 8 says, The Holy Spirit helps our weaknesses, for we don't know how to pray as we should. How many of us have just gone to the Lord one day with nothing? Okay, I don't know what to say, Lord. I'm in such a predicament. I have no words. I don't know what to pray for. I'm just going to throw myself before your mercy. That's when the Holy Spirit is up there interceding for us. That's when the Holy Spirit is going to the Father and saying, here's your servant, Randy. Okay, listen to his heart. Understand what is going on. He is so distressed. He doesn't know what to say. I'm coming to you, Father, on his behalf. This is the types of things that we have. Now, what does it mean... That the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Well, that's one part of it. Now, we pretty much know what the Lord wants. The Lord wants righteousness from us. 
He wants us to honor him. He doesn't want unrighteousness. He doesn't want us to dishonor him. But also, there are things in our lives that we can say, I wish I knew the Lord's will for, the, for my life in this, right? Maybe you've got a job offer. Maybe you've got a chance to move. Maybe, um, you, you know, it could be anything like that. And, and you, you read the word and, and, you know, he doesn't tell me whether I should move to Detroit or not. You know, I just can't find that in Scripture. He doesn't want you to move to Detroit. I can tell you that, okay? But what the issue is, how do I understand these things? Again, that is part of the work of the Holy Spirit with groanings too deep for words. Lord, I don't know what you want from me here, but I want your perfect will. So we keep on praying, and the Spirit intercedes for us. So number three... He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's another command. It's an imperative. You must keep on keeping yourself in the love of God. Now, what does that mean to keep yourselves in the love of God? Well, it means to keep yourself in that place where you experience the Lord's blessing, where you experience the confidence of walking in his will. Now, um, uh, how do we want to say, you know your children want to keep themselves in the place where they experience your love and your blessing. Um, if they do something that is wrong, then, you know, you, you bring it down upon their heads. Well, how could you do that? You've got this, this punishment that comes upon them for disobedience. Now, does, does the Lord punish us for disobedience? Well, in the sense that we face our own consequences. I told you not to go there. Isn't that clear? I I told you not to be involved in sin, but yet you went and involved yourself in sin. And the Lord says, I'm not going to punish you. The punishment for sin is its own issue. You're going to have to face that. So to keep ourselves in the love of God, we want to keep ourselves in the midst of obedience. I want to do what the Lord tells me to do. That's how we keep ourselves in his love. And the fourth one, wait for the mercy of the Lord to come. We should wait. That's a that's a a waiting with expectation. We are waiting in expectation for the Lord to come. We should ne- it should never be our thought or our prayer. I hope the Lord doesn't come next week because I'm scheduled to go to the beach. Okay? We can't pray that way. Okay, We can't think that way. If the Lord comes today, it will be better than anything we had planned for next week. Okay, So you have to keep that in mind and we should wait expectantly for the return of the Lord. It's the same way that we, we wait in expectant hope for the resurrection, for eternal glory. It's all of these things. We await the day of judgment because believers will be acquitted of sin. Okay, That is a good day. And good is not really sufficiently describe it. Okay, All right. There are three things now that he tells us to do here in the end, 22 and 23. While we are being built up and praying in the Lord and understanding the Holy Spirit and being within the midst of the Lord's will, these are all great things for the church, but we have to do something as well. He doesn't just give us all that great stuff so that we can sit around and be fat and happy spiritually speaking. There are three groups here that he, Jude, particularly says we are to reach with the gospel of Christ. Three groups in particular that we have to reach with the gospel of Christ and and. You know, I, uh, I just put them into C's. I, I took somebody's idea and, and these words, but they're here. But C's, so we remember them. There is the confused and the convinced and the committed. The confused, the convinced, 
and the committed. These are three distinct groups that Jude addresses here that we need to reach with the gospel of Christ. So, verse 22, have mercy on some who are doubting. Those are the confused. And to have mercy on them means to show kindness. This is the kindness of giving those who are confused the truth of the gospel. Because, now there's a distinct one, we're to show mercy with fear on the last group. So we'll get to that in a moment. But this is to show mercy on those who are confused. Our our natural tendency might be to come up up against somebody who's really confused about the truth and say, I really don't have time to explain all this to you. Isn't it evident? Okay. Well, if it was evident, then these people would know it. Now remember, none of us came to Christ as immediate experts in our knowledge and understanding of him. Okay, We were not doctrinal experts the moment we became believers. But it was a process of growing. And, and odds are somebody or some group of people came alongside of you and helped you to grow in the things of Christ. When you were confused, somebody took the time to talk to you and to lead you down the path of righteousness. That is the, the issue that we're dealing with here is how can we come alongside the confused and get them on the right path so that's one of the groups that we are challenged and even commanded to take the gospel to the second group would be the convinced the convinced it says save others snatching them out of the fire now the convinced are a little bit more um set in their ways and a little bit more um, uh, uh, involved in their air. The confused, they just had questions. The convinced, they're pursuing air, and it says you have to snatch them out of the fire. So it literally means they're being singed by the fires of hell, and it is our job to come alongside and to rescue them from that fire. Now, James chapter 5 says, Brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from error of his ways will save his soul from death. I'm not saving anyone from death, eternal death. That's the Lord's work. Um, we're just the instrument that the Lord uses. So it is, in a sense, here's some person who is actually pursuing unrighteousness, pursuing things that are antithetical to Scripture, and it is our job as believers to get a hold of them, spiritually speaking, and bring them out. Now, it's going to be dangerous. It might be a little bit messy, but that's the command. Because we can see they're on the road to air, and we must intervene in their lives to snatch them out. Now, it's a gentle ministry to those who are confused. It is a little bit more um, uh, severe of an operation for those who are convinced that we have to get a hold of and pull them out. The people who were confused that Jesus dealt with, he was gentle with. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, he was very hard on them. Now the third group would be the committed. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now among the convinced, that second group, there are those who, which we might call the really hardcore group. They are committed to their error. And they are in 100%. Uh, If you've ever had the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormons come to your door and you spend any time talking with them, they are ready for your questions. 
Okay, they have been schooled and they are so convinced and committed to their path of error that when you raise a question, they are ready for that question. They have an answer for it and it's going to serve their purposes. Um, when you, gee, uh, when, when they came to my door and I pulled out my Greek, uh, that was really the end of the conversation. Okay, but they're ready for most everybody. Okay, because they are committed. They are missionaries of air. These people who love their air so much that they, they want you to be involved with it as well. Now it says that we are to hate even the garment polluted by the flesh. Polluted by the flesh. This is some of the most coarse language uh, in the New Testament. Now it doesn't really show that in the English. They've kind of nicened it up um, in the translation but really, it is very coarse language, very graphic language, much like the reference from Isaiah that talks about uh, our works being filthy rags before the Lord. It is the same type of imagery here. There are two types of garments that, that these, this word refers to. Uh, one is the outer garment. The other is the inner garment that, that they would wear in New Testament times. This is a reference to the inner garment that has been defiled by actions of the flesh. So we, we get the picture here that these people, we need to be almost phobic about how we deal with people who are committed to their heir, lest we be defiled in the same way. That doesn't mean we go, ooh, you're committed and you're a mess, so I'm going to stay away from you. We just have to be wise and we have to be careful, but they still need the gospel of Christ. We, they still need the gospel of Christ because they will be lost in their air if we do not take it to them. So Isaiah puts it this way, as I said, our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's the same thing. Revelation, in, uh, when uh, John writes to the church at Sardis, he says, you're dead. You have only a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, who have not given themselves up to the evils of the world. So Jude says, build yourself up. Objective truth. Be foundational in the things of Christ. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Spend time with the Lord. Lay yourself before him and seek his perfect will and mercy. Keep yourself in the love of God. Do those things which keep you in that sphere of obedience. That's where you can experience his love. Wait expectantly for the return of Christ. And then, of course, those three commands at the end, reach the lost. Reach the lost. These are the challenges that Jude has for us today. After all this information about false teachers, he now says, now you're aware of them. This is how I call you to live. This is how I call you to live out your faith. So let's pray. Lord, we want to fill our minds with what is right and what is true. And, and we each have our list of all the things that we do through the week. And, and we're busy, and we've got uh, our families, and we've got uh, our work, and we've got uh, other things that take up our time. But Lord, gently remind us, or sometimes smack us to get our attention, that we need to be in your word. That, that we cannot survive unless we have a regular intake of the richness of your word, of the feast that is there for us. Our spiritual lives will simply starve if we don't have a regular intake. We need to be fellowshipping 
with the body of Christ. We need to be worshiping with the body of Christ. We need to be reading and understanding your word and, and singing your praises and, and just, just dwelling in that area where we might know your love and your mercy. And Lord, you call us to take the gospel again and again in your word. It is clear. We are not the ones who save people, but we are the instruments of the proclamation of Jesus Christ, of his life, of his death, of his resurrection, of the sin that taints us and the answer that you have provided through his atoning blood. Let us not be afraid, Lord. We'll be wise, we'll be mindful of the dangers, but let us not be afraid to live uncompromisingly for the things of Christ and to demonstrate them and to proclaim them that others might know of the salvation and love that he has. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.